Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, host of the RouterFlex podcast and founder and CEO of our day job recruiting firm, RouterFlex. We hope you enjoy this episode. And as a reminder, please subscribe to the podcast for updates and news. Finally, if you haven't already, check out the series of books we've published on hiring, interviewing, and overall career advice titled The RouterFlex Guide, available on Amazon. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Most homeowners don't have the time or expertise to properly take care of their home, which causes costly issues to arise. That's where Cura Home Maintenance comes in. We're a full-service, routine maintenance company that was developed by a certified home inspector. Each quarter, we service our clients' homes following manufacturer's recommendations to properly maintain all the necessary appliances. We provide the materials and expertise to prolong the life of your property, creating a healthy and efficient environment for your family. From top to bottom, we'll maintain and service your home. To get started, we have a property inspection to determine what needs to be maintained, and a maintenance plan is created based on your preferences. From refrigerator coils to filters, vents, and drains, we do it all, and we do it well. Contact us today for your free routine maintenance inspection and never worry about your maintenance again. Mark Hugentobler on the RiderFlex podcast. I love that name. What, what kind of name is that, Mark? It's Swiss German. Swiss German. The old country, yeah. Okay. All right. Very good. I was wondering. Of course, I mispronounced it. The, 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 the people listening to the show today aren't going to realize that I'm going to have to edit that because I mispronounced your name two or three times before we got started. <laughs> I, I'm guessing I'm not the only one. No, it's not the first time. Uh, Mark, thanks for being on the on the show. Uh, we've had a couple of pre-chats and it's been good getting to know you. Fascinating story. I want to get into everything. Uh, prepare for me to ask you anything. Is no that all right? I'll answer anything. <laughs> uh, Give the listeners a little personal background. Let's let's start from kind of the beginning, if you will, where you grew up, mom, dad, siblings. Kind of give us a, a, a little color around that, if you don't mind. Okay, I grew up in a white picket fence life. Uh, dad was a dentist. Uh, my mom was a homemaker. Um, okay. It's five siblings, a sister and four brothers. Wow. Uh, rural Utah, southeastern Utah, a little town called Monticello. Okay. Um, I had I had great friends. Uh, my parents were good people. All my neighbors were good people. Uh, I've got a friend, in fact, I think this is kind of unique. Um, outside my family, my best friend I made in the first grade. Really? Still, we're like brothers. How about that? Uh, Gary Torres. Um, and... Uh, so I had a really a great life. I we lived we lived in the country in the wilds. We lived at the base of a beautiful mountain, uh, motorcycles and boats and fishing and hunting and, and uh, just a rural lifestyle that is pretty unique. How about that? So, That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And your your folks were they a pretty conservative religious family? Anytime I hear Utah, I, I'm thinking Mormon, but I don't know. That's an yeah, assumption. What? what Yep, we're members of the Church of Jesus Christ. Okay, okay. So pretty, uh, pretty. Was your dad pretty strict? Uh, I would. He was a typical dad. He was a. He was. I would define strict. Uh, he was a good dad. Okay. Uh, you know, we lived. We lived a great life. He expected us to to be good and to cooperate and get along. He expected us to learn to be kind and to learn to. Uh, we expect us to get educated. He had all his expectations. There were times when, like every dad, good dad, he kicked our butts. And there were times he gives hugs. So he's a great dad. He, he passed about 18 years ago now. So it's been a while. Uh, how about your mom? She's still with us? She still is with us. Actually, she's in a uh, rehab center. She fell and broke her leg uh, a couple of weeks ago. and so, But she's getting, what, she's 85 now. And she's getting on. She lives about a mile and a half from us. She, oh. We moved her here to from where we live so that I could be, okay. she could be close with me and we could help take care of her. Very good. What kind of kid were you? Were you, were you the rebel? Were you the straight A student at library every day? Or what, <laughs> what, what, what? 
Uh, the best way to illustrate the kind of kid I was, when I was five years old, my dad was in dental school at Kansas City, Missouri. Actually, they'd moved to St. Joseph's, Missouri to, uh, to a dental practice to kind of do an internship practice before he moved back to Utah. I was five years old, and at Christmas time, my mom uh, put me in a car with a guy <laughs> that I didn't know. She knew him, but she put me in a car to drive back to Utah, and I lived for the my last half of my kindergarten year in with my grandparents in central utah so i spent six months away from my parents and i was never i never cried i was never sad i was just living an exciting adventure every wow. summer the rest of my life uh, i went to my grandparents that grandparent and my other grandfather and lived with them which was four hours away from my home and i anxiously went and never wanted to go home is that I, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I always tease my mom that uh, she wanted to get rid of me, <laughs> but my mom had four kids. Uh, was living a, in a her mom. Her mother had just passed away from cancer, and she was having a you know she's in a difficult place. And I was probably not helpful <laughs> as my I was <laughs> rambunctious. Uh, we have a motto in our family: "Go big or go home." And the other motto is: "Why the hell not?" So uh, I was kind of a handful. And I how guess. about as a how about as a teenager? Did you ever have to call your grandpa or your dad from the sheriff's from the sheriff's department and come I, get you? I, a I never have. I okay. probably should have. <laughs> I never have. I had really good friends. We got into some mischief, okay. and we crossed some lines a few times, but we really never got into serious trouble. Okay. All right. Uh, so you graduated high school. What year? Seventy-eight. 78 okay well, man, you, you look young you look good for your age man i'm, I'm not a, i'm not young i'm 63 you don't look six you don't look 63 you, you look good you look good what are, what are you doing we have the same quaff huh <laughs> what are you doing what are you doing to stay in, are you are you on a certain diet are you on a regiment in the mornings for exercise what are you doing uh, you know, I, I was a I was a basketball coach for most of my career, and and uh, I was just always active. And I'm an active person. I I have a kind of a Chihuahua personality. In a you know, I'm six foot three. I'm a big guy, yeah. but I'm just really high energy. I get up okay. at morning at five thirty, and I go till ten. And I don't I really, except for occasionally, have a nap in the afternoon because I'm old enough to do that. I really I just go a lot. <laughs> I do exercise. I uh, swim. Okay. I try to swim two to three mornings a week. Uh, for I swim about a half a mile. Well, about a mile. Uh, okay. I don't know. Somewhere between a mile and half a mile, depending on what I get. I, I've started jogging again, which I haven't done because of uh, I've got my back and my I had an Achilles tendon problem mm. for years, and I've actually mm. cured my back without surgery with some homeopathic things. Really? So I'm doing that again and. Uh, I try to eat right. My wife is a uh, health nut, if you oh, will. If I can say that that helps. Being, that uh, helps. Yeah, so, so I, I when I when I go on the road, I'm eating burgers. But when I'm home, I'm eating pretty healthy. <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. Uh, okay, so after high school, you went to college uh, to play basketball. What'd you do? Talk, walk us through some of your early life there. Yeah, I, I, I played high school football and basketball. I went after out of high school. I went down to St. George, Utah, to Dixie to try to play. I got cut from the team. I didn't make okay. the team. Okay. After that, I went on a mission uh, for my church. Okay. Uh, I spent two years in France. Oh, cool. Which cool. was a great which was a great experience. In fact, I, we just went back last fall. I have kept my French. I've read books and listened to, listened to uh, broadcasts, French broadcasts, so that I can still speak French pretty fluently. How about and that? It's right. really fun. But I came back from there, and I came to a little town called, well, it's where I live now. There's a, there's a junior college here called Snow College, and I played basketball here. That's you where I met my wife. Okay, okay. Uh, and that was back in 82, 82. You were starting, were you a starter on the junior college? Were you, were you a starter on the team? I, I was not. I was a role player, but. but uh, that's okay. Okay. It was a great experience. Uh, I had some, made some good friends. We were a good team. We were rated, we were in the top 20 in the nation all year long. We went to nationals and How got beat that? out. Had a good group right. of kids. All right. All right. And uh, okay. So you spent two years there and then what? 
Uh, my wife and I got married and we went to Weber State University in Ogden, Utah, where she got a degree in nursing. She's a registered nurse and I got my degree in education. And then I spent uh, 33 years in the education world. You wanted, so you were, te- what were you, te- you were, so you were coaching basketball and what were you teaching? Algebra. Really? Okay. I got, All right. I got, a, I got a degree in, I got a uh, multiple degree in physics, uh, computer technology and mathematics. Okay. So you were married the last two years of college. Then you guys finished right. up college while you were married. Okay. Any, any right. kids during that time? No, we didn't. We just have kids till, uh, we, we were a little bit settled. Okay. Actually my wife had a hard time having kids for a while. And so oh, really, okay. Yeah, we, we were preventing it, but it was, it was, she had a difficult time getting pregnant at first okay. and it wasn't so hard. So I'm not sure what happened, but. Okay. How many years coaching basketball, high school basketball? 23 as the head coach. Wow. Okay. How about that? Uh, we could do a whole show just on that, right? We could do a whole yeah, podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Boy, I'll tell you, you, we sure could. <laughs> yeah, it would be quite a story too. People might be interested in it because it's a world that I never knew the world till I got in it. I, I love my coaches. I had great guy coaches, especially a, well, my football coach was a really, he became a mentor and he's a really good friend. And uh, I just wanted to do that. I love basketball. I wasn't good enough to go, obviously, to NBA. In fact, I didn't go to major college. Um, but yeah. I loved it and I love kids and What's furthest? What's the furthest you took the team? Did you we won the state title three times. Oh, you're three times state champion. How about that? Congratulations. That's a big deal. We won, won a lot of regional titles, uh, pretty much. I won't say every year. We, we won a regional title probably 10 times, nine times. And then we okay. run one state championships. I had great kids. I had some really uh, talented, amazing kids that played for me. Uh, I know I'm just gonna ask one more question about this because I don't want to spend all the time on it. But did you ever have one of those rich dads, like you know, powerful rich family dads, kind of meet you for coffee and like, hey Mark, like I really my my kid needs to play. Like any of the any of that going, any of that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> they weren't they weren't really rich dads, but they were sometimes they were sponsored. They sponsor our summer camps or things like that, and. They'd, you know, they'd want a little extra favor. They didn't get it. In fact, one of them got really angry with me uh, when I actually cut it. One of his kids, three of his kids play, tried to play for me. Two of them did. And one of them I cut. Ooh, he and, didn't like that. <laughs> he didn't like that. But I might add that one of them was the MVP of our of the state. Oh. The, his boys was the MVP. Of our, and he was the last boy. And so we're in pretty good terms now. But, <laughs> Uh, uh, one of the best speeches I ever heard, uh, a, a coach give, it was, uh, we were entering, I think seventh grade. What, well, by the way, you were, this is how, yeah, you were high school. We were high entering school. seventh grade football. It's that, you know, how, you know, how you go from little league where everybody kind of plays. And then all of a sudden you're in seventh or eighth grade where right. if you're good, you play, if you're not good, you don't. Right. Right. And I just never forget this coach. He stand up there in front of all the, all the parents. And he just said, he said, look, here's the deal. He said, little league's over. This is seventh grade football. If your kid's good, he's going to play. And if he's not, he's not going to. So be ready. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. (laughs) So good. I can't remember how many times I tell people that I don't do uh, this. Isn't the boy Scouts. Everybody doesn't participate. That's I mean, yeah, yeah, it is what it is. Okay, very good. So, you uh, great career then. So you retired. Or did you get retirement check then from school from education? Yeah, I retired four about four years ago. Five, almost five. Well, it'll be four and a half, I guess, years ago. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Very good. Um, and how many kids you and your wife have? We have five. We have five. Four boys and a girl. Four boys and a girl. Okay. Now are the boys, are they like six, two, six, three, six, five, but are they all athletes? What's we, this, what? we all, we, we come into a room, the five of us and we fill up a room. <laughs> I, have one son, I have one son. that's about two sixty If he's on a diet. Two sixty. And how tall is he? How tall is he? Six, he's six, three, six, but he's, three, a, he's a, he's a bear. Uh, okay. My other boys aren't, aren't as big, but they're all over 200 pounds and healthy kids. 
Okay. Uh, if I'm ever if I'm ever in a bar in Utah, I want to be with you and your son. So you guys are on my side. Uh, it'll be safe. <laughs> yeah, you guys walk into a restaurant. Everybody's like, "Oh man, what, what are these guys? Look at these guys." It's pretty I'm, good. I'm actually the little one of the bunch. Well, I have one son that's smaller than me, but I'm I only weigh about two. I weigh about two twenty, and I'm the small that? one. Okay, that's pretty good. They're all grown, or you got what's the youngest kid? My daughter is twenty two. Okay. Yeah grandkids uh we have a grandkid one grandkid and another one on the way all right very good very good are you papa grandpa what what's your what, what are they what are you called uh papa that's what they seem to call me that's what the one called me actually he's older now so he just calls me grandpa but okay when they're little okay very good so you wrote a book called all my friends are felons yeah, uh, that doesn't that doesn't really match the story that you that, that we just <laughs> that we just talked no, about <laughs> at all. Because uh, my basketball kids were not fell didn't become felons. Yeah, right. What what's what's give what's going on, Mark? Give us the story here. Well, uh, when you're a basketball coach, again, we could do a whole podcast on coach the coaching experience, which might be fun sometime in my world because I'm yeah. uh, starting. I'm doing a podcast now. All my friends are felons. Cool. But when you're a basketball coach, you make a lot of friends, but you make a lot of enemies. And some of those, most of the people that were involved that I had to cut their kid or didn't play their kid, most of them got over it. You know, they they, they realized this is life and life good and bad and ugly sometimes. And people make decisions and they, you may not like them, but that's the way it is. Yeah. But I just got lucky. And every school uh, in the United States has a school board. And they're an elected body that uh, controls the schools and helps makes decisions for your local school. Yep. And here in in this area, there's a we're, there's multiple communities in our school district, and two of the members of that board were not my fans. They okay. weren't fans of my. They they one of them actually one of them her son was one of the best kids I ever coached. Uh, we were supposed to win the state championship that year, and we lost in the semis. Okay, and she was mad, and it was my fault, and because her son would have been the MVP of the state, and it would have been great, and he'd have been all that glorious, and so she was pretty angry with me. And another man on the school board, I'd cut his kid about eight years before. Okay, so anyway, and then I got—I'm a kind of a doer, and I had a principal. I was the assistant principal at our school. Oh, you were assistant principal and the algebra teacher and the basketball coach. Well, I wasn't teaching algebra anymore. Oh, I, I see. Had okay. Yeah. So I wasn't doing that anymore. Um, I was just doing the assistant administrative stuff. Gotcha. Anyway, our school district is responsible for education inside the, uh, the prison. There's a small prison, a small state prison, about 20 miles from my home called Central Utah Correctional Facility. And our school district is responsible to educate for that education program. So there's uh, nine teachers and an administrator and three secretaries that work there. Okay. And uh, the, the, the principal at that time was prescribed to move out and move into the junior high. And uh, in fact, he's now the superintendent of that school district. And the school board is determined to send me to prison. And I didn't want to go. It's usually volunteer. People that went there would say, yeah, I would like to go to there. They went there to kind of relax and get out of the limelight of public school. Or some of them got, you know, just uh, anyway, there's a lot of reasons that people went there to, to serve. But they made me go. And I didn't want to go. I went kicking and stream, screaming. In fact, I was pretty upset. Could they make them? I mean, can they do that? So, so let me make sure I understand. You bet. You're you're a basketball coach. You're an assistant principal, but there's this program at the prison, this education program, and they're and they're like, "Hey, you got to go work the program, and you don't have any choice." That's you weird. don't. You can That's find weird. a new job. It's the way school systems are. You're assigned to go where they tell you to go. It's How like being. It? It's kind of like being the military. Obviously, it's not as it's not the same, but it is. You go where you're told, and you find a new job. Interesting. All right. So you're like, well, could, did, could you still coach the basketball team? No, I was done coaching. The, I had actually, I had actually resigned that year 
uh, from coaching. I was kind of getting tired and wore out, and okay. I wanted to just kind of get away from that and start just doing administration. Okay. So anyway, the All superintendent right. told me, Mark said, you just go there, do your time, a couple of years, and we'll get you back into public schools. Because that's what the previous guy had done, only he had gone voluntarily. Uh, and some of the teachers had done the same thing. They'd gone for a short period. Sometimes you'd come into the district and there wasn't a job except at the prison. So you take that job to try to get a job in the All local right. school. All right. And what were you going to so anyway, do? What, what, what was your job there? What, what were you going to be doing? I was a principal. I was in charge of the program. I see. All it was right. called the director. It was called the director, but it was, a, it was the principal. I was in charge of the faculty. I was in charge of growing the program. Okay. So I went in. Uh, and never left. Stayed How many there. years? How many eight years? Eight years. Eight years. And is it, uh, can you describe it for, for the listeners? Is it what the prisoners come into class or, or, or the, what, walk me through how, how it works? Well, that's a, you know, it's a unique experience, but we had a, we had a corridor, we had a hallway with, uh, 12 classrooms. Okay. And inmates would come in, they'd file in from their cells. There were um, nine housing units in this facility. And at the time they could all intermingle. So we would have any, we'd have them from all different housing units at the same time. And they come to class similar to a high school, similar to a school. Why, why the 12 classrooms? Just because you had to keep a certain number of people in each classroom, just like you would, you don't want too many people. Uh, at, the at the time they were mostly empty. By the time I got done, they were clear full. Because the prisoners didn't want to go. They didn't care. They're like, I'm not doing that. Or, in the or, beginning, they didn't want anything to do with it. They were really, they fought now, most of them. Now, some of them did, but the majority of them thought it was stupid and didn't get anything out of it. But by the time I left, there was 1,800 men in that facility. And by the time I left, 1,100, 1100 of them came to school on their own, of their own volition. Wow. How about that? Okay. Very good. And that's what the book's about. That's what the book's about. And that's what the book is about. You building that program about you. Yes. Uh, okay. Very good. Uh, and was it general education? Was it like, uh, okay, this, this, this classroom's math, this classroom's science or what? Uh, yes. Okay. That um, uh, we had the, each faculty, we had a math teacher, we had a history teacher, we had a science okay. teacher. Okay. Uh, we had a computer technology teacher. So we had just like a high school and they go to different classes. Uh, they could earn a GED. Or we I would see. actually give them a high school diploma if they wanted to earn one. How about but that? More, more importantly, we our our goal as I got there, the goals changed and our focus changed. But our our main goal was to was basic adult education, reading, writing, and 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 mathematics. And there's a standardized test that we used when I first got there. Every inmate in the facility had to take this test when you first came in. When you fished in, they had to take this. Uh, Aptitude test is basically what it was. It, basically, it measured how what grade level they were on. Yeah, what when was I, the average? When I came, the average was over, just over fifth grade. Uh, and when I left, the average was well over ninth grade. How and about eight that? Years, eight years later, the men in that facility were well over the ninth grade level. Most of them, well, not most of them, a good portion of them were right. At, you know, they tested out. Mm, so I see. I see. What's their, their their incentive is to be educated so that when they get out of prison, they can uh, have a better chance to be successful in regular life. Is that the incentive, basically? Uh, that's the incentive. Yes, it's not. There's a lot to that. But, yeah, that's the idea. OK, how did you get more people to join? Did you recruit like did you go? Or did you, you know, Bobby came and you told you telling Bobby like, hey, Bobby, get you your friend needs to come. Or did you get to visit with prisoners and talk them into coming to class? How did you increase the class count? Well, that's a long, long, long story uh, that I don't know if we can really delve into, but I'll try to do it briefly as I can. Okay. Prison. When I went to prison, this is my view of prison, and I think it's pretty common. Uh, the Department of Corrections is doing everything they can to help these derelicts. These guys have hurt people. They deserve to be in prison. If they wanted to change, they would, But because the system is providing all these opportunities for them. But they are so terrible and so awful, they just won't do it. That's, your, that's, what, that's what the system says, or that's, that's what you... What's your perspective? Uh, what, what do you um, see prisons? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so... 
it has changed because I've had several people on the podcast that have educated me and enlightened me. So, so pre, pre that, what did it look pre like? That, yeah. Pre that, pre um, that, yeah, I would think 95% of the people were just bad guys and, you know, 5% of them got caught unfairly in a bad situation and shouldn't be in there or something like that, probably. Yeah. 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 yeah that, that and the department's doing all they can to help them, but they just don't want any help. They're just dirtbags. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. But I, yeah. My perspective. Yeah, I drove by that gun. I probably drove by by that prison hundreds of times, and I either didn't didn't think about it, or I thought, you know, they're just dirtbags. Blow the, drop a Moab on them and get them out of the work, out of the way. (laughs) You know, but what I found was absolutely the opposite. The Department of Corrections is complete, and and I believe I'm sure I can say this for every Department of Corrections in the United States completely derelict in their efforts to help these men change. And most of the men want to change. They want a better life. They just don't know how to do it. Is that, and this is a, um, we could probably do a four hour podcast on we this. Could. Um, Cause I've had people on the show explain to me that because of the, if you follow the money, so to speak, they, you know, that there's so many different people that are benefiting from the business of prison that, that they, they need prisoners in there and they, they don't want to, they don't want to make them better to get them out. That was, is what I've been hearing. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if it's that malicious. I think it's just a government program. I think government programs in general are derelict in their, in their ability to function. Okay. I think that the, they are, and I, I came from a government program. I worked in the education system for, which is a government program. But I, you know, I think people, government programs function, function on funding. And so they focus on perception and funding and they don't percept, focus on people. Mm, mm. And, and that's a general, general statement, but I think it's fairly accurate. And I think what, prisons, are, prisons are worse because in a public school, there's a lot of public scrutiny. People can see. Their kid comes home every day and talks about what happened at school. They can go to the public school and see what's going on. Nobody can go to the prison and see what's going on. What the only, pers- thing, yeah. the only yeah. thing that comes out is what the prisoners might say, and nobody believes them because they're derelicts anyway. Right. What percentage would you say are were men that were sorry for what they did, they want to be educated, they want to improve, they want a second chance, versus truly scary bad crazy guys what 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 percentage i would say 10 to 20 percent are truly bad scary guys and the rest of the guys would are hungry for help okay okay there are some who there are there are some who are just i don't know they're psychopaths or they're i don't know what they are they're just off the off the rails crazy they're off the rails criminals but i i'm confident that 80 percent of them I think 20% of them are never going back, 20 to 30% of them aren't going back to prison because they just are smart enough to figure out that I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. But the the recidivism rate in the United States and, and what this rate refers to is how many men go back to prison after within five years of release. What is the percentage of that? Over 70%. Damn. That's wow. That's crazy. 70, that is a crazy stat. When I did a, I read the study, a Rand Corporation study and in 2014, I believe was the date on the study. 71% of inmates who are released from prison go back to prison within five years. That is a crazy stat. Wow. It's a sick number. It's a sick number. And, wow. you know, I was a basketball coach. I had one year where we only, <clears throat> we only run 160, uh, 32% of our games, 33% of our games. I got run out of town on a rail. People wanted to hang me, and it was for a stupid basketball game. Now, I survived, but here we're allowing this year after year after year in our system, and it doesn't have to be. It absolutely doesn't. We prove prove it doesn't have to be. When I ask you why it's that way, I'm sure that is a very long answer, but what? what, give me some (laughs) – yeah. Uh, When when your car's broke, when your car breaks down, who do you take it to? Mechanic. The mechanic. That's simple, isn't it? Yeah. Would you take it to a plumber? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so. How about a framer, a guy that builds houses? Would you take it to him? He might know how to build, fix your car, but you wouldn't take it. You take him to a mechanic, right? Well, 
I'm not, I'm not a bash the cops guy. I, we, I love cops. I appreciate cops. Officers are so important to our society. Without them, we have chaos. So I'm not really digging on, I don't really want to be insulting to police officers, but they are expecting police officers to change and change behavior and educate people. Mm. And it's just like taking your car to a, to a plumber to get it fixed. Mm. Thought <laughs> the guy's struck, they got to know how to do it. Mm. You know, mm. cops are made, cops are taught and rightfully so to, you know, to apprehend, to put guys in handcuffs, to read them their rights, to throw them on the ground. They use their, sometimes they have to use tasers or guns or things like that. And that's their job. And we need them. And, I, and we got to have them. But asking those people to, without any, without any training, to help people change behavior and educate people is nuts. <laughs> how, are, how do prisons in general educate and 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 try to improve prisoners do they all have these education programs do they all have no uh some of them do but it's not just the education i'm talking about isn't book learning it's not okay. mathematics okay. i mean that's important obviously you know how how would you feel i know you've never thought about it but imagine if you couldn't read man what does your life look like yeah. Yeah. and there's a lot of guys in prison who can't read Really, they read on a third grade level or less. Mm. You know, that's ugly. So mm. that's important. But what really is important is why do you live a good life? You live a great life. You you you've been successful. Uh, you have a, a. I know. I don't know a lot of detail about it, but I know you have a family. I. I you know. Yeah. Yep. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Yeah. Well, yep. why? Well, you you asked me about my parents. My mom and dad taught me right and wrong. Yeah. They taught me to be kind. They taught me to. To look at other people and and be patient and loving and forgiving and they didn't teach me to look at other people and what can I take from that guy? Mm. How can I victimize him? Mm. And, and so we have all these things that I don't want. To, they're not innate. They were taught to us by loving family and friends and our experiences. Well, imagine growing up on the streets, or imagine growing up in a world where your dad taught you how to steal. Your dad, mm. your mom taught you how to do drugs. You're, I mean, your whole value system is jacked up. A lot of it that is, that, is, is a lot of it that way. So, so is a large yes. percent, a large percentage is, <clears throat> is, is, is due to terrible parenting or terrible childhood. Is that a very large percentage? Tra trauma is a part of 60, 70% of these guys' lives. Serious okay. childhood trauma. Okay. Wow. Not all of them. Some of them had a great life and just screwed up just made us absolutely stupid decision and hurt somebody and did something like that. But, but that's you know, a small, that's a small, that's a small percentage. That's, a, that's not the majority. The majority have some serious trauma and they just don't have to live. In fact, there's a story. If I can tell a quick story, it's the yeah. first, it's the first page of my book. Please. It's yeah. called the violin story. In 2016, I went to a symposium to put on by the department of corrections. It's the only time I had a positive outlook on the department of corrections ability to do anything. And it was, it was short-lived. <laughs> anyway, they had a symposium where they brought all these DOC people in and they brought in the, the lieutenant governor and a couple senators and, and, had, and spoke to the group. And one of the speakers was a former felon, was a former inmate. Okay. And he told his story. And I'm going to briefly tell his story. It's in my book. And if okay. you want to get the whole story, you'd have to yeah. get that book. But basically, he was born, he was raised, he, he was living in Montana with his mom, his sister, and her living boyfriend. She had a baby, and about four months after that baby was born, the live-in boyfriend bailed. So she's up living in remote Montana with nothing. So she moves back to Ogden, Utah, to be closer to her family and to try to get some support. She moved in between Harrison and Washington. You don't know where that is, but that's in the avenues in Ogden, and that's about as inner city as you can get in Utah. Okay. Just inner city. It's a struggling place. Uh, I know some people from there, and they're good people, but they, it's a hard, hard place to live. Anyway, this kid grows up, or he keeps going. He starts stealing clothes off the clotheslines in the backyard. He starts stealing bikes. He stole him a bike so he could get around. He realized he could steal a bike and sell it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He goes in and out of juvie. By the time he's 18, he's doing jail time. By the time he's 19, he's, doing, he's, he's in prison for drugs, mm -hmm. and who knows what. He didn't really detail that. Well, he's standing in front of his judge for the fifth time. 
in and out of prison. And the judge is disgusted. And he said to the kid, to the guy, he said, do you have anything to say for yourself? He says, I have a question. And the judge says, what? He says, can you play the violin? And the judge says, no. He says, what if I ask you to play the Star Spangled Banner on the violin? Could you play it? He said, no. He says, what if I put a gun to your head? He says, if you don't play it, I'm going to kill you. He says, I can't play the violin. The guy's kid says, well, what if I threaten your family the same way? If you don't play the Star Spangled Banner, I'm going to kill them all. He said, he really pissed. He said, dude, I can't play the violin. I never learned how. The kid stopped. He said, can you teach me how to live a good life? I never learned how. That is powerful. So That's... instead of the judge, obviously being a good man, instead of throwing him back in prison, sentenced him to, to a rehab and got him, you know, he's an addict. 80% of inmates are, were addicts, are addicted to something, whether it's pornography, alcohol, drugs, uh, got him the help he needed. And he was standing there. This was, this, this was seven years prior to this symposium where the judge had sentenced him to a rehab. He was married, had a wife, two beautiful kids, had a business, was contributing to society and living a good life. How about that? You know, wow, that, that's a pretty cool story. If people are just giving chances and educate them and teach them how to live, not just the book stuff, but how to live to be a good person, wow, it does turn around in a lot of cases. I guess not every time, though, huh? Even No matter what you do, sometimes it goes bad. Well, we talked about those guys at 20% or so. It, it, a, a person has to come to themselves. You can't make a person change. You can't force a person to change. If, they, if they're an addict and they don't want to get a, give it up, you can't make them. Now, gotcha. there's, there's, that's not completely true because what I found, the reason, the, you know, one of the reasons the book is called All My Friends Are Felons is what I found is when I got in there and I was working with these men, they were just like you and me. I bet, yeah. They yeah. were good people. They were intelligent. They were kind. They were trusting. They were loving. Uh, they had families. Some of them didn't, but some of them did. They treated each other with respect in my space. Now, when they went out into the prison, they had to protect themselves. So they had to live the game. Prisons are run by gangs. Mm. They're not run. The Department of Corrections manages gangs. That's If you have to describe what they do, they manage gangs. Interesting. Never thought of it that way. That's I was... exactly what happens. Wow. And, and I'm wow. sure that's that way across the country. Gangs I always thought the prisons. I always think when I see these movies or whatever TV shows, and you always kind of almost like, okay, how much of this is real? And I'm, and I always tell my wife, I'm like, hey, these drugs and things that they get in the prisons, they're all oh, addicted. Yeah. I mean, how, if it's a legit system with real security guards and police, how how do they get all this con contraband into the prison? I don't get it. <laughs> well, I I've, I've lived there and I still don't get it. Um, and their their drug problems aren't near as bad really as they're on the streets because they can't do it all the time. Okay, they can use drugs and they can get them. And wow. some of them some of them choose to do, but a, a good majority of them, honestly, a good at least in, in my world, a good majority of them once they got sober. And it was really hard to get the drugs. They didn't want the drugs anymore. Okay, that's good. That's good to know. And I think that's true with with most people. I think once they get sober and they, they, that they finally get through that addiction and, and it lets go of them, the daily craving and the daily mm. Uh, mm. need, they start to think clearly and they're, they're back to themselves. How about that? Did you ever meet anybody? That, I'm sure you did. Uh, I, I always feel bad for those people that, Let's say they regular person, regular guy, regular job, like you said, made one mistake, whatever it is, they, they, they screwed up and did, did one thing bad. Only thing they've done, go to prison. Now they're in there with real criminals that have been committing crimes their whole lives. And then they're forced to join the gang. And then they get in a fight and accidentally kill somebody and boom, now they're in for life. Uh, I didn't know anything, anyone with that specific scenario but the and up until they killed somebody and had to stay for life yeah okay guys that and they you had if you don't grow up if you don't group up you're you're you've got you're not protected and mm. you'll you'll get picked on you'll get jumped you'll get you've got to group up and if you don't you're in trouble and yeah, it's you're... that way in utah 
I, I had a I may interviewed a guy from California that was in prison in California. He calls Utah prisony land. Because <laughs> if you go outside Utah, it's infinitely worse, his claim is, which and I don't I'm not surprised. I believe that. Oh, I believe it too. Any problem? Did you ever have any classroom brawls, classroom fights? Any any were you ever in danger during class? No, never. And that was the amazing part. When I first went in, you, you, they give you training. The corrections give you training about how dangerous this place is, and you're always your life's always at risk, and you got to be careful, and you got to avoid this, that, and the other. And uh, I, when I first went in, I was looking over my shoulder, and I was scared. By about three months, I was going anywhere in that prison I wanted to go, and I was feared completely fearless. Really, and we're talking now. For if I can visualize it. The cafeteria, whatever, men are walking around freely and you're, 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 you're walking like if somebody had a shank or whatever, they could just get up and stab you if they wanted to. Absolutely. And I had no fear of it. In fact, if anyone would have tried to hurt me, the majority of them would have jumped them. Interesting. And get, no matter their affiliation. <clears throat> they, they might not. They would yeah. not hurt. They would not hurt me or any of the teachers. They, they looked as they looked at us as being people who cared and people who tried to help them. And people who were good, they we were there, we were on their side. Uh, mm -hmm. That's really mm -hmm. what you look at. They would protect us, and I had I never had any fear. I would have been once, I would have been worried about that three three four a month thing. Okay, me, I would have been worried about the I, I would have been worried about the ten percenters that are just absolutely psycho though. <laughs> uh, those guys were usually not out in public that oh, much. I you see. see them. Yeah, you didn't see them. I see. I see. Um, I see. A quick story about three, two, two months in, maybe three months in, I was up in what was called a Gale housing unit, been talking to the captain, because that's what I did. I went out and started working with the captains in, of the housing units and the lieutenants in the housing units and really started to talk to them about how to get guys to school. Okay. Well, I was walking up to, to a slider, a door, and the slider in front of me closed, which surprised me. And there's a little button you push, and I pushed the button and they said, you're going to have to wait. We've got a controlled movement. So they were taking a, an inmate, uh, level four inmate, which is a isolated 24, 23 hours a day isolated inmate. They were moving him to medical. And so they have to shut everyone else out because he's, he's in shackles. So I'm standing there in front of this slider. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, the hallway starts to fill with inmates. And I'd been there two months, maybe two and a half months. And there's no officers anywhere. Ooh. I'm going, oh, my gosh, what's up with this? Wow. So I recognized the guy, <clears throat> a guy in the crowd, and his, if his name was, I don't remember his name now, but I said, hey, bud, how you doing? And I just started trying to calm myself to visit. I figured out if I can talk to somebody, maybe I'll feel better because there's no place to run. I got to run through 25 guys to get out or I got to run through this slider that's closed. So I was I was absolutely, oh, my gosh. And I got I got out of there and I thought, oh, that was scary. It wasn't six months later that almost the exact same thing happened. And I'm just chatting with guys and I'm, it's like, I'm standing there with my buddies. How about that? I came, that, I came wow. to realize that this was not a dangerous place for me. And How I had about no that? fear. <clears throat> it wow. was crazy, but it was, it was, it's what, what happened is I came to realize that I was completely wrong about this situation. Mm. These guys want to change. They love, they, it, you volunteer and help in a prison. It will change your life. Mm. You want you want a life-changing experience, go to the local prison, wherever it is, and say, I would like to come in and volunteer. I would like to teach an entrepreneur class. Is I, it, your life will change forever, because mine did. Is it emotionally? There had to be, you seem, you're, you seem like a pretty big, tough guy, but I also feel like you're, you're, you're very passionate and emotional. Did you have were there evenings where you you come home with your wife and you you're, you're tearing up telling her about s stories that are just sad that you're just uh, I, I did you find that difficult? It happened about two three. It happened about a month ago. That scenario. I go back into prison now and volunteer one uh, Monday mornings for for four hours. Okay. I teach a class called uh, Captain Your Story. It's a okay. it's a it's a class about what we talked about. It, it teaches them how to manage their life and how to focus on, you know, living a good life. Mm. It's a 12 week course and it's changing. Absolutely. It's absolutely changing these men in 12 weeks. 
and I came home a month ago and told, started telling, started just kind of coming up right now, <laughs> telling my wife about uh, mm. this guy who was in a game. <laughs> mm. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Um, his name's Luciano, and he's covered with tattoos. And he started this class, and he's actually started it way back in when I first started. So that would have been the first part of April. And he's going through the class for the second time. And as a result of this class, he decided to bail on his gang. And what happens when you bail on your gang? Yeah, now you're by yourself. He's in danger. He got the hell beat out of him by mm. his gang. Mm. It was hard. Um, you saw him. You saw him with the, with the marks and scars. And I everything saw him after, way. yeah. Yeah, he disappeared for about a week, week and a half, a couple of weeks. We didn't see him, but everybody said he got beat up mm. and he came back and he came back to class and he stayed in class and he's left the game. And he, 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 uh, amazing artist, talented, talented kid. He's probably 20, I'd say he's mid twenties, late twenties. He's in, he's in prison for killing a guy, <laughs> you know, uh, but he's just something else. He's, mm. I can't hug him, but if I could hug him, I would. That's mm. the rules, I guess I could, but he's just oh. an amazing person. So you're not allowed to touch him? Well, you can, you can shake their hands. You're not supposed to hug them. I see. Oh, yeah, I bet you, I bet you want to pass out hugs. I'd want to pass out hugs. They probably need hugs, for God's sakes. <laughs> they, they do. They really do. And But they are so thankful for a handshake or, or a mm. fist bump. Do, have you thought about, I'm sure you have, going into i mean i know you're older now right i guess you're you're you're, you're nearing retirement or maybe, but but did you think about man i want to go into department of corrections i want to be i, I want to get in the system and and change it and and be uh uh, uh what, what's the head of the prisons called I'm, I'm i'm spacing he's called the director the okay the, the director I mean, did you want to, did you want to do that job where you're like, I'm going to get in this. I'm going to, I can do this better. Did that ever cross your mind? Uh, no, it never did, but I, I've got a better offer. Uh, the reason I'm going, this is the reason I'm back into space. The reason I'm doing a podcast, uh, the reason that I'm going into volunteer, uh, cause I'd given up. I'd spent some, after I retired, I spent some years on a, a committee. We'd put together a committee. Okay. To to affect legislative change in the prison system and try mm. to get the world changed, uh, we had some success, but it was so it's so, government so slow, and I just got frustrated. Like I kind of bailed several times and came back. Well, this okay. last time I came back for a very good reason. The new director he, he was hired in in uh, March is a kid who played basketball for me thirty five years ago. How about that? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Pretty cool. It's pretty yeah, cool. Pretty cool. And he was, he was a student body president. He's a great kid. Just a super kid. Uh, in fact, I worked when I was a teenager. See, it was a small community I grew up in and I worked uh, for his dad. I knew his grandpa. Wow. His aunt, his aunt and uncle were friends to my brother and sister. I mean, wow. I just, so I've known this kid. He's not a kid. He's 50 something years old, but I've known him forever. Is he and the director? Have, he's the director at the prison you worked at. He's the he's the director for the prisons in the entire state. I see. Okay. He is the head honcho of prisons. How about and that? we've had multiple meetings, and I am I am confident. In fact, I'm going to see him tomorrow in the afternoon. We're going into the prison. He's coming in to see. He's coming in to meet the classes that I'm working with. He's wow. coming in to meet them. All right. And uh, he is going to change this world. Mm, that's good stuff. It's going to change the world in Utah, and my hope is it changes the world in the United States. I think that's I pretty, think what we yeah. do. You watch in the next year, in the next year, things are going to change dramatically here, and it's going to be incredible. It's going to be earth shaking, mm. and it's a crazy prediction. But I know this kid, and he's not. He's already shaking up the. He's already shaking the world. He's changing position. He's just reassigning people, letting people go. He's moving. He's moving the machine. Can you mention his name? Can you mention his name? Uh, his name is Brian Red. Okay. Very good. Okay. So the book, All My Friends Are Felons, Finding Hope for the Utah Department of Corrections, uh, available on Amazon, 
and paperback, uh, Kindle, I guess. Um, yes. And um, where else? Any are bookstores as well? Uh, no, you really can't get in bookstores, but it's on Amazon. We're actually, I'm actually about a third of the way through doing the audio, the audio book. So we're going to put it on audible. Hopefully right. that right. should be, that should be done mid October. Okay. And that's when we're going to launch our podcast, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But that should be done mid October. And we're going to put that on audible. As well. Is it going to be your voice? It is. Yes, please. That's not, that's not always great, but my podcast producer says, Mark, you're going to do this. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially if you're going to have a podcast, the audio, the audio book's got to be yours. I, it's just not the same when the author doesn't read it. I don't think I, I, I prefer to the author to, to, to hear That's the what author. Said, so yeah. I've got a kind of a scratchy stuttery voice, but. Oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. What, what's the name of the podcast? All my friends are felons. All my friends are felons. Okay, very good. I'm guessing it's going to be everywhere. Spotify, uh, yep. Spotify, Apple. Oh, We're going to put okay. it on YouTube. We'll put it on all the little, all the little podcast oh, companies. Okay. Video, video, and audio. It is. We're still having some struggle. The the company I hired isn't isn't big in video. They're a podcast company, uh, Launchpod. Uh, but we're convinced them that we want pictures of these guys and we want it so we can put it on YouTube and we can put it on Instagram and some of these places. Okay. So. Uh, Okay, all right. Let me just give you my personal opinion on that. Especially if you're going to be interviewing in, in former inmates, which is going to be a big part of your 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 crowd or your uh, guest. I'm guess. Uh, yes, I'm it is. Uh, I'm going to want to see them. I, I I'm going to want to see their faces. I'm going to want to see the emotional reaction. I'm going to want to see you talking to them. Please, it's guy. It's got to be yeah. on video. It's got to be on video. <laughs> That's our feeling too. So. Yeah, I would think. Okay, very good. And the website. Uh, tell us about the website and and what what's the uh, URL going to be and what's it going to consist of. All my friends are felons. All dot com. We'll okay. probably get dot org as well. All right. Uh, you can go there. We're we're going to have a sign up website where you can get on our our mailing list. Uh, you can also, if you are a person who has know someone and has been a felon or has something to contribute to our podcast, there's a place where you can fill out a form and say, we'd like to be on your podcast and here's why. Okay. Uh, we'll have links to some of the organizations that we're affiliated with. We're, we're not going to be a nonprofit, but we're going to take the extra money. It's going to take so much money to run the podcast. But once that money's used up, we're going to use the rest of the money to donate to several uh, charity. They're not charities. They're nonprofits that, uh, work in this space to help okay. people. One of them is uh, the Other Side Academy. There's one here in Salt Lake and there's one in Denver. Uh, and it's their organizations where they take, it's literally a two-year program. They bring guys that were that are pre, that are getting sentenced. So they're pre-prison. Some okay. guys are coming out of prison. Some guys are homeless, drug mm. addicts. Mm. And they take these people and they they change their lives. It's a, they have a 70, they have a 70% success rate. Mm. Okay. It, they 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 kick out 70 percent of their 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 participants to date are drug free have a job and are crime free that's, that's great how, that's great how can people how can the average person listening to this show help well is there going to be donation button what how can they help yeah we're going to have we're going to have a, it's uh, we're going to have a donation button where they can donate we're going to get on Okay. Uh, uh, some podcast thing. My my son is a computer geek, so he okay. does. All, I, I I interview people. I'm a bavard. I can talk to people all day long, and that's <laughs> what I'm good at. But I'm not good at all the technology. So my son's going to do all that stuff for us, as well as the podcast company. But all we'll right. have a, we'll have a spot on there where you can donate. We'll have a spot on there where you can be a sponsor. We're okay. going to merchandise. So we're going to have a we'll have a we have a store that. You can buy T-shirts and hats and those little wrist rings. Okay. Uh, talking about second chances and talking about uh, change and uh, how very good. May. So very good. I know how I know how we can help. So Rider Flex, you know, our day job at Rider Flex is a recruiting and staffing firm. Beyond the podcast, yes. right? So we. So the way the way we can help is, you know, when you get when you get people that are ready to enter the workforce and they are they can't get an interview nobody will hire them whatever i am happy to talk to those folks you can you can introduce us here at riderflex we're happy to put them in our database 
put them in our system, so to speak, of our candidates, and then put them in front of clients that are willing to give people second chances. Cause we do have, we have clients like that. We've, we've um, done work for several companies that are, are willing to uh, give people a second chance with, which I think is awesome. So that's how we can help uh, for sure. And I think that'd be something we want to partner with you. Okay. Uh, yep. Those are Definitely. the kind of things we want to connect. Uh, any kind of program that is going to support, because it's hard. They get out of prison. Nobody oh, wants I believe to, it. Nobody will hire them. They can't find yep. a place to yep. live. They don't even have a driver's license. Yep. Their social security card is gone. So they don't have it. They have a number in their heads probably, but they don't have a card. Mm -hmm. So they can't get anything. There's, they are just, and they get no support. And if they don't have family, they're just left on their own. So what do they do? This this ties into this ties into the seventy percent back to prison. Yep, they go they go back to what they oh I used to make a lot of money selling drugs, <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, know or whatever it was robbing banks or robbing whatever. You know, here's the uh, here's an interesting stat. I'm sure you know this already, but I, you can emphasize it with these guys. There is a a heavy need for trade skills, blue collar yes. workers, workers, right? It's, I mean welders electricians plumbers construction workers the heart of our pay, country pay, pay, definitely i mean there is a major shortage in men and women able yep. to and willing to do those jobs a major shortage and if you listen to any of the smart uh, uh folks on podcasts that talk about the workforce they will tell you that it's getting worse as the blue collar trade school guys get older and they, they enter into White uh, retirement. And now all of a sudden, you, good luck trying to find a 38 year old welder. Good luck. I mean, it, it, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's unbelievable. So, so I think there's good, I think there's value or there's going to be opportunity for, for, for guys coming out of prison to fill those jobs. Cause, cause people can't find anybody. And no, not only is there a shortage in those those workers, but people don't want to work. If the, the 30s and 40 year olds are like lay lay concrete, they're like, no, they want to go to Starbucks and play on their phone. They, they don't want to lay concrete, right? So um, there's going to be opportunity. I think is 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 my point. And and one of the things that we did in our education program is actually beyond secondary education, we brought in we brought in technical skills and we started doing classes. We taught people. We taught computer coding, for example. We okay. taught machine language, we, and we did all that with inmates. That's we great. didn't. We didn't have any money. We didn't get any money from anybody. We just started teaching these skills. So when guys got out, they could say, "Yeah, I, I learned how to frame." We we built. We started building tough sheds, basically. Great. Yeah. And we would sell them to the people in the community. In fact, that my mother-in-law has one in her backyard. Uh, we would we they build them and we'd haul them out. And I think I I think I really believe, and we could do a whole podcast on this. And I know I know we're over on our time. Uh, the guy who founded LinkedIn, Mark Andreessen, I think, right, uh, was yep. uh, being being interviewed by Joe Rogan. And Mark was saying, you know what? He's like, isn't it interesting? We we thought that the AI and the robots were going to take the blue collar jobs first and the white collar jobs on the laptops were safe. And that has totally flipped around. Right. And, and now the now the, the white collar laptop jobs are in danger because AI is taking them. <laughs> And the blue collar jobs are actually more valuable. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Gotta, and, who's who's going to build our houses? Who's going to plumb? Right. Who's going to fix our cars? You know, who's exactly. going to pave our roads? It's on and on and on. Yeah. But the problem you described is when you get 45, that work gets pretty hard. You know, your body's pretty worn That's out. Right. That's right. And it's hard. So you got to move into management or you got to move into something above and you need younger guys to do the work. And these guys, many of them are eager. They'd lots yeah, rather that's great. They'd lots rather frame a house than sell drugs. Yeah, great, awesome. I think there's going to be opportunity, uh, and your program and what you're doing is going to help. And thank oh, God oh. for people. Thank God for people like you, Mark, that are that are helping these folks. And that's what's got. To, we can wrap it right there with that, right? It's got to feel. Well, I guess you you've always been in a serve kind of job, right? Whether it's the basketball yeah. coach or the teaching, you've always served the community or served people with almost everything you've done in your life. And this has got to be truly fulfilling and rewarding if you're, if you don't lose your patience and, 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 and get, get frustrated <laughs> at the system. <laughs> well, I, you know, that's part of, that's where I get my fulfillment. I, I'm, 
you know, I have I have a couple of businesses right now that I make a living at. Good. But I, I don't money's not my motivator. Never has been. You know, God's yeah. always taking care of me in that regard. We have enough to live and we have a nice life. That's um, great. But, but people, I'm a people guy. And I don't always get it right. I don't always do it the best I can. But that's, I like to serve and I like to help. And and I'm in a great space for that. Because especially with Brian Red coming in as the new director, mm -hmm. I just can see some some changes happening and happening quickly. And I'm just excited to watch it and to be a, a small part of it. Very good. I'm wishing you the best with your podcast. Uh, all my friends are felons uh, and continued success with your book uh, and, and uh, the website and just everything you're doing, man. Appreciate you and congratulations on, on everything, Mark. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.